Hey everyone, it's been a while since I've made a podcast. I've uh, mostly just been living my life since the election and just trying to be a dad and uh, do better at my job and just kind of living my life after a crazy five years. I thought it would be nice to take a little bit of a break. Unfortunately, I didn't get to take as long as a break as I would have liked because I had hoped after the election things might settle down a little bit, but they appear to be uh, speeding up, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, so I wanted to do a podcast today while I had some free time. Uh, my son is is out with his mom, and I thought it would be nice to just kind of go over a couple of things that I think are really important that have been happening since the election. Uh, now, the first thing I wanted to kind of talk about was it's Juneteenth. Happy Juneteenth, everyone. And, of course, it's a very a new holiday for a lot of people, I suspect. But it's also quickly becoming a very important one. And I think because of that, it's important to kind of talk about what it really means. And I think a lot of people miss the point of, of Juneteenth in a lot of ways. Um, and so I wanted to kind of talk about it from a historical perspective and what it means and why it's so important. Now, of course, Juneteenth is a f now a federal holiday in the United States, and it, what it does is it's basically commemorating the emancipation of the final enslaved African Americans, and which took place in Galveston, Texas. And we celebrate it on June 19th uh, for obvious reasons. So it's a very important day. Most people, when they think the end of slavery, they think the Emancipation Proclamation, but in point of fact, historically speaking, Lincoln's order actually didn't carry much weight in most states. The free states obviously didn't have slaves at that point. The border states that were part of the Union, it did not apply to them because they were not in revolt. And then to the states that were in revolt, nobody's going to listen to that order, you know. And so a lot of slave owners tried their best to sort of hide the fact of emancipation from their uh, enslaved citizens. And I prefer the term enslaved citizens as opposed to slaves um, because I think, obviously, the founders did not intend for slaves to be citizens. But, number one, using the term enslaved implies that they did not become slaves by choice. You could, in theory, be a slave by choice, right? The the ancient Greeks had some policies like this. Things happen in history where people basically become slaves in exchange for something. And obviously, it's not that's not technically by choice. You're trying to get something you can't otherwise get. But it is different from being taken from your homeland forcibly and enslaved. And so I like the term enslaved because I think it signifies the fact that we forced African Americans into bondage. And... I like to refer to enslaved African-Americans as citizens. Of course, the Dred Scott decision being what it was, legally speaking, the uh, enslaved population was not recognized as citizens as such. But for me, living in the time I live in now and having the hindsight to look back and see, you know, the grand expanse of, of slave history... I don't know how you could say today that those were not citizens. Yes, they were legally denied their rights. But if we believe that people are endowed by their creator with rights, then it doesn't really, the law doesn't 
necessarily mean anything morally. It's just the way that a society can be structured. But morally, philosophically speaking, I think of enslaved African Americans as citizens, which kind of makes what we did even more horrible, right? Something about being a citizen of a nation and not having any of its rights. Most people agree that if you're coming to the country, you know, and you haven't become a citizen yet, you're just not going to have the same total rights that a citizen would. But if you think of enslaved citizens as citizens, it's pretty horrible what we did at an even more extreme level, right? So, so Juneteenth commemorates the actual end of slavery in the United States. Last slaves were freed from Galveston, Texas, of course. And it's an important holiday for a lot of reasons. And not just because it was the end of slavery, but I think what people miss is the even more deep expansion of what that moment signified as far as the furthering of individual liberty and rights as a whole. You know, if you think about the last, you know, since we came into existence 200,000 years, you figure most of that 200,000 years was brutal. Uh, We probably were just basically trying to survive in small tribes, it seems like, really struggled. I mean, life was short. I imagine we were getting eaten by a lot of predators disease, things like that was horrible. Um, A lot of modern problems didn't exist either, right? Like pollution. But at the end of the day, I got to believe most people would say that they would rather live now than 150,000 years ago. Now, about 10,000 years ago, you start to see the emergence of more advanced humans, right? More civilized humans. There's some back and forth about that. You know, it it could have been longer. I personally believe there's a lot we don't really know about what happened prior to a certain time. And I think it's possible that humans are much older and have older civilizations than we realize. But as a matter of history and what's accepted, let's just go with the 10,000-year rule, right? So then you know you still have all this barbarism you think of the ancient history you learned in high school that was really boring right all these different middle eastern and asian and european empires uh, that you can't really keep track of the assyrians babylonians sumerians uh, the different chinese uh, dynasties different european empires tribes macedonians romans italians uh, greeks you know point being For a long time, it was just basically humans going to war with each other, slaughtering each other, being ruled by kings. And even in ancient Greece and Rome, there were some rights, but it's not like it is today. And so after that period, you know, you have the fall of the Roman Empire. And the West in particular goes to this really dark age. And it's only in the last 800 years with the birth of the Renaissance that the West has really emerged And it took a long time, you know, even between the Renaissance and, say, 1500 AD, that was still not a great period. You know, you had the Reformation, there's religious wars. It's really the last 500 years that humanity has begun to emerge as an advanced civilization, not just in the West, but you see this all over, right? And you can, on any given day, go on Twitter on social media and you'll find people arguing about that well how could the last 500 years be so great 
for the colonized is the term they'll use quote unquote the colonized and this stuff is very murky and it's not the kind of conversation you can really have on social media because it requires a lot of historical background and knowledge but let's just take this person as being truthful about how they feel of course they're right there's been a lot of horrible things that have happened in the last 500 years even outside of imperialism right you got the holocaust the great leap forward um the cold war all these different wars that we fought and nuclear bombs disease still there's a, there's racism slavery but i think what what most people don't realize is that that stuff always happened that's not new it's not like you can turn around and say, well, before 1500 AD, all these people were doing fine. Like, it's just not true because they were still ruled by kings and different, you know, empires would conquer each other and slaughter people. I mean, when you read about what happened during the Crusades, my God, like, it's, it's, you're talking about people just invading cities and raping everyone and pillaging and murdering people in the most horrible ways as if the cruelty was the point not just getting rid of these people right and you just think about that you know does anyone really want to live in ancient egypt just because they were an african sort of middle eastern civilization that hadn't been conquered by the white man anyone gonna sit here and tell me that they want to live in ancient egypt i mean put aside the fact that that was a very strict, difficult society to live in, right? I mean, there were so many rules around religion and the gods, and boy, were the gods fickle beings. And the pharaoh ruled everyone, often with an iron fist. And put all that aside, why would you think you would be born into some good life? Most people had it very difficult. Are we really going to sit here and assume that it, we would be lucky enough to be born into some well-off, small, noble family that was part of that upper class? I mean, you're probably going to be born very poor and doing what everyone else tells you to do and not really having any freedom. So I think, I think people don't, they don't think about that a lot because it was so, once you get past 1500, as you go back in time, that history is not very well known to most people, you know? And so I just think people don't really, really think about that. What's different today is that we have the ability to critique our history and ourselves and to push for more freedom. You didn't get that opportunity before 1500. And I really think that's why Juneteenth is so important is it fits in with this larger narrative of progress it hasn't been a straight line but martin luther king maybe one of the i don't know he's got to be a top five american i would think right he's on the mount rushmore i mean my, he was a hero he's a legend you know he's you could see in a thousand years he could be almost a almost viewed as a demigod, right? You know, this how this person who came from Mount Sinai and did these amazing things. And anyway, I'm ranting. But my point is, society before 1500 AD was, was 
not like it is today, and something changes as time goes on for everyone, not just white men, you know. And by the way, let's let's remember, you know, this stuff is so complicated. I'm Irish and German. My Irish heritage, I was, my family was likely to be serfs to the English for a very long time, you know. I mean, that's the reality. Same in Germany. I, 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 I've done research in my family. I don't come from rich roots. You know, I have some ancestors that were famous, like Geoffrey Chaucer, but mostly they're just regular people, especially the Irish side. And those people, they weren't privileged. They didn't have any advantage over an African. Um, and I use African because I'm going back before America existed, before Africans were taken out of Africa, so they would have been Africa uh, Africans. I don't want to don't want people to be offended. Um, but there was no advantage to being a white Irishman. We weren't even considered white when race became a thing, you know. Um, and I I just think people don't they can't deal with the complexity of this stuff. It's it is mind-bending. It does make you realize your place in society in the sense that in the last 50 years, a new type of civilization has emerged around the world between globalization and technology and the internet and, and the opening up of, of rights in a lot of places, which has begun to backslide. But what you've seen is this emergence of a really advanced civilization that's kind of global. And, it, you know, obviously not everyone benefits in the same way, but when you look at the number of people who have gotten out of poverty, most of whom are black and brown people and Asian people, I don't know, man. You look at the last 50 years, and I don't want to be alive at any other time. I have many concerns about our time today, but to be alive in 2021 is to benefit from thousands of years of human effort to push us forward even as we were dying in droves like it's our story is an incredible one the human race and and yeah not everyone's story is the same but i think a lot of us are finally at a point where we're kind of on the same page and that's incredible if you had taken people from 5000 years ago and shown them what their descendants would become they would have they would have cried because there's just they couldn't have fathomed that they couldn't have fathomed that that their descendants would get to live to be a hundred years old not have to worry about most types of disease have so much food that we have an abundance of it all this technology and information i mean the amount of information you can absorb on a given day now to make yourself more educated is stunning you know it's stunning and between podcasts, reading a book, watching some YouTube edu education material, of course, not, you know, reruns of Step Brothers here. <laughs> um, what you can do at, at a job, if it's a good job, the amount of information a person can contain inside themselves now. I, I think about this all the time. And this isn't unique to me. I'm probably the most educated Mercerie that's ever lived. That is mind-blowing to me. And it's probably true of you too, listener. You're probably the most educated person in your family. Unless, of course, you come from a family where your parents are college professors and then you decided to be, you know, 
a store clerk, right? But even there, you don't need to do anything to be educated anymore. You just read. You listen to Audible for $15 a month. You can absorb tons of information. You can go on Wikipedia, most of it. Yeah, you got to be careful, but there's a lot of pages on that website that are very carefully maintained and curated. Um, you just you, you, you listen to some podcasts. You just think about all this, and you realize anyone, th th this barrier to elitism of education has broken. And you can see this on Twitter. You can go on Twitter and you can see a college professor learning from some guy whose whose username is Trotsky's left testicle. Okay, like <laughs> like it's very it's a very weird time to be alive and a very awesome time. And I just think that Juneteenth is part of that story of our progress. It's not just an African story, an African American story. It's not just a white story it's not just an american story it's the human story over the last 500 years of individual people deciding because of education and literacy like i don't have to be what you want me to be i don't have to do what you want me to do i can be whoever and whatever i want to be and that is is a story that we can all take pride in and at a time of such division I would think we would all want to honor that and it it the american story fits so nicely into that because here we were with this declaration of independence that really was the cornerstone of the country you know a lot of people point to the constitution but abraham lincoln understood rightly i think that it was the declaration of independence that made us who we were and that if the Constitution didn't fit into the Declaration of Independence, it needed to be altered. And I think we're in a similar position today, um, interestingly. But here were these flawed men who, you know, Thomas Jefferson, the reason he was so smart is because he had slaves to pick his crops for him. Enslaved American citizens were doing his work that he should have been doing, allowing him to become educated. And that, to me, is so obviously morally repugnant but fascinating because it allowed him to write the very document that sealed the fate of the slaver class, of which he was a part. That's crazy. Like, you would, if you read that in some kind of book... It wouldn't be, like a fiction book, it wouldn't be, yeah, okay, the villain wrote his own demise into his paperwork, like, what's that all about? That doesn't make any sense. And it's like, but that's what happened. And we, instead of being like, wow, our country is full of contradictions, but what an amazing story, and let's keep it going. It's like people don't even know their, their location in history and time. You know, it's... It, the end of history has long been talked about, but in a lot of ways, it feels like people have reached the precipice of a cliff. They're like, well, what's next? And nobody knows because we've secured so many rights and there are reforms to be made in things like the criminal justice system and more voting rights and the legalization of drugs and the lowering of income inequality. But on the whole, if you're just kind of walking around doing your thing, you can do whatever the heck you want. And so people are left going what's next what do we do with all this free time and and our lives now that 
all the big fights have been won, quote unquote. And there's always going to be big fights. Climate change, right? The space race. Can we get to Mars? Can we colonize another planet? But can we beat cancer, right? That would be a good one. But the big fights, getting most of the planet out of poverty, getting most people to be literate, freeing most people. A lot of those fights have either been won or they're difficult to fight from the American perspective, right? They're more slaves now than there were 200 years ago, I believe. You know, I'll have to double check that, but it's a stat I've read over and over again. But the problem is those slaves aren't often in America. They're in other places. You know, they're little kids picking cocoa beans for chocolate bars. And how do we how, how do we as Americans fight that? We really can't. So then we end up we end up turning on each other because there's nothing else to do, right? And we make mountains out of molehills when in fact we agree on most things often. And so I just think that Juneteenth is so important because it's not just about the end of slavery in America, but the human ideal, what it means to be human as we understand it post Jesus, right? It really, a lot of this stuff starts changing after Christ because of the way Christianity transforms the way people feel about rulers and leadership, something I'll talk about at some point. But we are dealing with, with something that I don't think people can really put into words. It's so very profound. And it's that if you are alive today, you are better off than anyone in a lot of ways that has ever existed. Even people alive 50 years ago, you know? I mean, it's, it's as a percentage, most of us, especially in America, we're like the 0.01% of human history. A lot of us are probably richer than most kings were back in the day because accruing wealth was just so difficult if you were the leader of a small tribe or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you were in charge, but how much did you really have? Maybe you got to eat first. Meanwhile, I can go to a grocery store and buy as much food as I want as long as I have the money and eat like a king. So much so that Americans are suffering from this obesity crisis. Like, we're living like kings, and we don't realize it. And um, I think it's because a lot of us don't know our history. Not just American history, but human history. Something that I think the Bible grapples with really well in a lot of religious texts. Honestly, not just the Bible. Is how did we get to be these things we call humans, right? And... How did we get these morals we have? And what does it mean to be conscious? To know that we know things. To think that we can think. It's really weird and, and hard to, to really grapple with. It kind of slips through your hand like slant sand the moment you kind of start to grasp it. And um, it's just an incredible thing. And that's why I think Juneteenth is so important. It's, a way of, it's another way of telling our story. Our human story that we've all gone through together. Most of us were probably descended from slaves or serfs at some point. I mean, Europe, feudalism, basically, unless you were a noble, almost all of us come from serfs and slaves. That's why we left Europe. And I don't think people realize that, you know? Um, and so much of this is white people who are well-educated, middle-class, suburban... And they're rightfully upset about the history 
that our country has, and I understand that. I embrace it. But I'm not going to hate my country because of that, you know? Because the truth is I probably came from somewhere much worse. And that's just how I feel about it. I always want things to get better. But I'm not going to sit here and be like, we're uniquely evil, because I don't believe that. Stuff England did to people, the stuff China's doing now, stuff Russia did, There's no one's hands are clean. We have to understand that. And I think if we can understand that, we can move forward having an actual discussion about this stuff and how to teach it and how to grapple with it while not hating ourselves and our country. Okay. And I think Juneteenth can help that in a lot of ways, you know, um, so that's that's kind of my thing on Juneteenth and just something funny about this. You know, conservatives, it's it's I don't even want to call them conservatives. They're not conservatives. They're radicals, let's be honest. Um, if you're part of the Republican establishment, you're a radical at this point. If you're conservative, you're probably not part of the Republican Party anymore. You know, you're seeing this happen with people like Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, um, Justin Amash, people who founded the bulwark like Charlie Sykes, Mona Charon. Um, Jim Swift, Sarah Longwell, um, Tim Miller, and the Dispatch is another good one. You know, these are conservatives, but they have basically been rejected by the Republican Party because they reject Trump and Trumpism, because Trumpism is not actually conservative, it's radical. And so um, it's just funny because the Republicans are doing this thing where they don't have any policies other than fighting against things like wokeism and cancel culture and i'm using quotes i don't like those things like i actually think they are problematic but when i before the election had friends who were like oh you've come around are you going to vote for trump there was no way i was voting for trump and the reason is because i knew because i've been alive for long enough to see this happen multiple times the backlash was going to go too far and the republicans were going to get weird about it and that's exactly what's happened and case in point, uh, enters the immaculate, stunning Charlie Kirk. Uh, he is a young man, probably, I think he's younger than me, who was instrumental, not instrumental, but was sort of a, came up through Trumpism during the 2016 election. If you ever seen uh, Rick and Morty, the interdimensional cable episode, where one of the skits is called Little Bits, and all the characters eat food that's like really tiny, but their heads are massive and perfectly round that's charlie kirk he looks exactly like that he's got an enormous head perfectly round head it's very weird um doesn't really seem to know what to do with his hair and is just he has this like pseudo intellectualism about him that sounds like he he can talk but there's nothing d deep there when he talks and so he he always pivots to whatever he needs to say to like fight for the Trump cause, right? And so, so it, it was pretty great. I'm looking at this uh, this raw story article um, where the headline reads: "Far right activist Charlie Kirk caught by ex congressman in hilarious hypocrisy over Juneteenth." And so Justin Amash had <laughs> had tweeted out something saying, you know, a a, a play in four acts um, or whatever, something like that. And so. It basically, it started with <laughs> it started with him saying, "Oh, you know, 
why didn't the Democrats ever pass a Juneteenth policy when Trump was president? You know, this was back when Trump was president. It's like, oh, they say they care about black people, but they never passed the policy or law designating Juneteenth as a holiday. And, you know, trying to fight, arguing that Trump isn't a racist, that sort of thing. And then, and then it gets passed after Trump's out of office. And he says, this is divisive. We can't have two Freedom Days. July 4th is our Independence Day. This is bad. And it's, he said, we now have two summer holidays, and one of them based on race. Shame on the GOP for supporting this. Now, look, I just illustrated how this doesn't have to even be about race. It's the human story. It's our story. Anyone who has ancestors who were serfs or slaves, and again, that's most of us if we go back long enough, can appreciate what it means to a person to know that there's a day designated when their ancestors were freed. You know? And um, it is just hilarious to me that the hypocrisy of this, the the naked, like, just, like, opportunism. I mean, it's, it's, it's stunning. I just, <laughs> I didn't even delete the tweets. Like, you didn't delete your tweets before issuing a new tweet? Didn't you know you tweeted this out? Do you not remember? It's just, um... I don't know, guys. That's something else, right? So anyway, just to close out the Juneteenth discussion, I just thought that was hilarious. And, you know, people will, will argue. And I give some of the GOP, you know, this was passed bipartisan. Everyone seems to appreciate this. Even people who are arguing over critical race theory and all of this different stuff, which I'm not going to get into because I just don't think anyone on any side is really arguing about it in good faith. And so I'm not that interested in talking about it. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the importance of Juneteenth, and I think we need to think about that, because if we think about it in the terms I just explained, it's rather remarkable. Which brings me, you know, talking about Charlie Kirk brings me to my next point, what to do about the GOP, right? For those who haven't been following politics that closely, understandably so, the GOP is actually accelerating their move towards authoritarianism. The insurrection, I thought, would have been a turning point. And at first it seemed like it was going to be. But then nobody came out for impeachment from the Republicans. I mean, a handful did, right? But most of them didn't. And that was a worrying sign to me. But after Biden took office, it's gotten even worse. You know, they wanted to have a commission to look into all of this and the republicans voted it down which is just absolutely shocking to me i mean it's not shocking if i'm being honest but i had hoped that we could at least investigate some of this stuff and not only that but you're seeing all these different conspiracies you know was it antifa was it the fbi Ooh, the fbi yeah they're they're always they're always up to something you know and that is true. They are always up to something. But, I mean, guys, you got to have evidence. Um, you're, you know, you're seeing tweets like, we want to know the name of the officer who killed Ashley Babbitt, the uh, lady who was, who was shot climbing through a window. You know, you're seeing some of these Republicans say, oh, she, the officer was lying in wait for her. He clearly wasn't. You can watch the video. He had his gun drawn. He warned her, and then she decided to step through. And he was scared, rightfully so. Um, 
so you have this this sort of conspiracy out there between the Republicans to basically put this away and act like it didn't happen. And meanwhile, state conventions are passing laws like if they doubt the legitimacy of the election, they have the right to change the outcome. I mean, that's insane. In addition to some of these voting bills, now every voting bill is different every in every state, and there are some things that aren't bad, some things that are, but, you know, when you have 170 drop boxes for the smallest county in Texas and then one for the largest, which is majority black, by the way, and I don't know what that means. It may mean that the Republicans are just thinking black people are Democrats, so they got to stop Democrats from voting. may not be about race. They could be white and say the same thing, right? Maybe it is about race for some of them. It, it, we just don't know. But the point is, is it's. I think it's kind of obvious that they're trying to do stuff to make it so that they'll they don't actually have to win elections. They won't they won't pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, and there's issues with that. But they won't even they're not open to altering gerrymandering, a very telling sign if you ask me, right? And I just think that they doubt that they can win going forward, and. I think they could, but, you know, it'll get harder as time goes on because the truth is they don't really have any policies. I'd love to vote for like, – Charlie Baker's a great governor. In a lot of ways, I would be happy to vote for him if he ran for president. But the Republican Party doesn't want him to run for president. They don't like people like him anymore. So what policies do they really run on? Controlling what you can say in your classroom as a teacher? That's a free speech issue. I thought they were against violating free speech, you know, um, things like that. Like that's, that's the kind of stuff that they run on now. And I'm just not sure you can win a lot of elections that way. I could be wrong, but I don't know, guys, I got to say like, it, not a Democrat, but they are at least trying to govern. And I think I worry about power deeply. Um, I am an anarchist. I'm also pragmatic, so like I try to understand that my my way of life probably will never be the way of life for most people, and vote accordingly. You know, um, I believe in voting, and I try to vote for whoever I think is going to run the country the best. So, looking at the Republicans, I don't know what we do about it because if you've got thirty percent of the country that just doesn't want to work together. You know, what do you do about that? And and that's, I'm going to get to the Democrats in a second, but you think about it, and Republicans, let's think about this, make a list here. They believe the election was stolen, some of them, right? They believe the insurrection was either legitimate or uh, unjustified, or it was an inside job to make Trump look worse than he is. Um they're rejecting getting vaccinated. And listen, I have my concerns with using a vaccine that we don't know that much about. And there, there's data out there with some issues, right? But I got both my vaccines. I feel fine. And at the end of the day, you do some things for your country to protect people. And I, the vaccines clearly work to protect people from the virus. And that's the biggest issue right now. You want the economy to open up. You want people to feel comfortable. We need to deal with this, you know, 
And the problem with not getting your vaccine is if it mutates, it can always break through the barriers people have from the vaccine, and that makes the vaccine useless. And then we're back at March 2020, and is that what you want? And, you know, they'll just say, well, you can't be afraid of dying, you gotta live. I mean, it's a death cult. It is. It's become a death cult. Anything that takes away your freedom is something they can't allow, even if it's actually the right thing, you know, and freedom as they define it, like the freedom to spread a, vac a disease that could kill people. And that's, I don't think that's in the Declaration of Independence or the Bill of Rights. So you're dealing with that. I mean, it's just chaos. It, the, the voting rights stuff, the the way that they won't work with people on anything, on most things, I should say, on big legislation, it's just stunning. And we'll see what happens with infrastructure. I have my hopes there. But it's quite obvious that the Republicans, I mean, you're seeing Mike McCarthy talk about how Trump wants to be Speaker of the House. I'm not going to get into all the details about that, but the truth is anyone can be Speaker of the House. You don't even have to win an election. So the Republicans could just go ahead and select him as Speaker of the House. Imagine him every day in the House having to deal with that. Good Lord. Um, but it's pretty obvious he might he's going to run again. And they want him to run again. I just find it I just find it crazy. I really do. And um I don't know, guys. I don't know what's going to happen. And I worry about it because the Democrats aren't going to win every election. They just have to lose one and then if if the Republicans are feeling grabby that's it you know what i mean and i don't know what their scheme is i don't know if they're actually authoritarians or not it's hard to tell because on one hand you're sitting there going these guys are goofballs like does anyone think ted cruz is a serious human being i don't know what happened to that guy but man so they seem kind of goofy don't they but then you're like yeah but they're also they're also very clearly like they want power more than anything even if it even if they don't know how to use it or want to abuse it or you know mitch mcconnell said the other day he was not going to let biden fill a supreme court seat if they got the majority back you're going to hold open a court seat for two years and it's because we keep allowing this it happened pre-election you know it was okay for him to fill a seat then and people will say well they have the majority but that's not how it works like if you go back and you read the constitution they are required to hold hearings they're in violation of the constitution it's kind of remarkable and nobody cares which is why i'm kind of like when the republicans talk about rights i just don't believe them because if you talk about rights you would care about the fact that they're holding a seat open even though the constitution says they have to at least hold hearings they don't have to vote for the person but you know i mean it's just remarkable so I don't know what we do about the Republicans, you know. I know that wokeism isn't helping, you know. It makes people look crazy. If you're sitting there saying, like, the last 500 years have been horrible, why would anyone want to vote for you? Compared to what? Like, compared to what? The Black Plague? Yeah, that wasn't so great, right? Like, no, the last 500 years have been incremental progress over time for most people and there's been a lot of bloodshed and there's been a lot of sacrifice and a lot of hypocrisy but 
in that process, we kind of recreated civilization into something much better. And if you're a Democrat and you're running going everything is white supremacy, boy, that that is not going to win you a lot of elections. And if you notice, Joe Biden kind of stayed away from it during the election. But now he's out there saying it's, you know, some of these voting rights laws are Jim Crow 2.0. Really? You know, there's a story I don't, I, I haven't been able to confirm if it's true or not. But there are stories like this one where they lynched a black woman. You know, some people, uh, white people, lynched a black woman and lit her on fire. And while she was on fire, hanging from this tree, still alive, she was pregnant. They cut out the baby and crushed its skull. That's what Jim Crow was. That isn't what the Republicans are doing. They can be bad laws. That doesn't mean this is Jim Crow 2.0. And we, we have to get Democrats to stop talking like this because your average voter doesn't find that appealing. They care about issues. How am I going to pay my electric bill? Kim, is my kid going to be able to go to school next year? If I need a job, will I be able to get it? Is health insurance available to me? All these different things that are important. You know, I work, I work helping people with student loan debt, and the number of people who call me going, all these, all these stupid fake outrages, and they can't deal with student loan debt? And there's a lot of different ways to do this. You could forgive it all, um, which is what I'm in favor of, but I understand why people are not. You could restructure the system so payments are no interest and they're based on your budget, right? So you go over a budget with a counselor and they go, you have a hundred free dollars left over. 5% of that is $5. Your payment's $5, right? This isn't complicated. But the point is, is like there are real solutions to a lot of the problems we're facing, but because everyone's all tied into this culture stuff and virtue signaling, it you know, it's it's not helping. We're not getting any progress. George Floyd was killed over a year ago. We never got legislation on that, but everyone can wear a Kenti cloth, right? And it's like, who cares about that stuff? Go govern and pass laws that are going to help us, which is why I don't understand what J what Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are doing. No minimum wage increase? You guys are insane. You know, 15, I get why some people are against 15. Personally, I don't think it's an issue. But do something. You can't raise the minimum wage at all. You know, it's crazy. And same with voting rights. They, they, they're not willing to, to do something about the filibuster for voting rights. You'll lose. You'll lose the next election. Potentially. If you don't do some of these things. And you're not willing to do it. I do not understand what the Democrats are doing most of the time anymore. They're taking too long with infrastructure. They can't pass the things that they need to pass to protect our elections. It's just, it blows my mind. And so you have one party that's crazy, like legitimately just has gone off the deep end in the Republicans. I mean, I mean, Johnson, the senator from Wisconsin, was out there saying he thought Biden could be um, 
what was the word he used? Biden could be in, be influenced by Putin right now because he seems soft on Putin. I mean, it's just so bizarre. It's they've gone off the deep end, you know, and then you have another party that wants to govern, but it's so corrupted by various issues. They can't. And don't get me wrong. The Republicans are incredibly corrupt. Look what they did during the pandemic. But like, let's remember, both parties voted to give, you know, thousands of big companies breaks and money in PPP loans, big companies that didn't need it. Jared Kushner got money, and Democrats voted for this law, but they couldn't do $2,000 checks instead of $1,400 checks. And I don't really, that didn't really bother me one way or the other, but it was, it was like, yes for corporations, no for people. And it's so reminiscent of the 2008 crisis, right? Instead of, Bernie Sanders wanted to pay companies to keep their employees hired during the pandemic, and basically we said... No, you're going to be on your own. Good luck navigating unemployment. We'll increase the pay, but it's a pretty tough system to get through. And that, to me, is like speaks volumes of the Democrats, right? There's all kinds of solutions that are very far left, but also in a weird way conservative that people would like. But Democrats can't seem to pass, either because they're not even aware of such ideas or because they're so tied into corporatism and meritocracy that they they're just not willing to do anything that would jeopardize that and i think about that all the time george packer had this great atlantic article out this month about the four americas and how you know you have you have you have the lit freedom america which is basically rose up under reagan you have smart america which came of age during clinton and really believes in the meritocracy. You have real America, which you see in people like Sarah Palin and Trump. Um, you know, And then you have just America, which is sort of what we're seeing out of the Democrats right now. And these four kind of feed off of one another. And there's plenty of Americans that don't fit into that. any of those groups, like me. I, I, I kind of take pieces from all of them in a way, but, and, and other categories too. But the whole point being, there's these different Americas that fight each other, and it it results in not being able to pass any kind of policies. And I don't, I just don't know what you do about all of that because how do you get people to put down their weapon first? It's a, a classic Mexican standoff, right? They if they disarm unilaterally, they're totally vulnerable. And I understand that fear, but what ends up happening is. Through all of this, the people who run the country, they come from elite circles, and they all have their own views and beliefs, sure, but at the end of the day, they're all elites, and they don't want to give you a cut of what they feel they've earned. And they do. They think they earned it fair and square. And so what ends up happening is like the worst of both worlds, right? Like you get these half-baked policies that don't actually work like the student loan program like great you know it, it seemed like a good idea at the time and then look what happens because rather than make it simple because again why would an elite person want non-elites to have a simple way to move up the ladder they like being on the top you get these really archaic bureaucratic paperwork filled systems that are 
impossible to navigate. And so that's that's really problematic. And that's where we're at. And it's it's slowing down the whole governing process. And in a lot of ways, that may not be bad, right? But then you get into territory where it's like, no, there are certain things that are happening. You know, Joe Biden wants to label anarchists as as domestic terrorists. And he uses, it's very careful, right? It says violent anarchists, but we all know that the long arm of the intelligence agencies, they don't think of violence the way your average citizen does. And they specifically use terms in the in the chart I saw, which was circulating on Twitter, and it says people who are opposed to capitalism and corporate globalism. And it's like, <laughs> that, <laughs> you don't have to be violent in your opposition to that. I'm a pacifist. Am I an enemy of the state because I feel that way? Like, I don't trust corporate globalism. And I feel uncomfortable at best with capitalism and depending on what it, it's doing. And that to me is, that's the stuff that's always going to be on the table, right? The government will always find time to control people, but it'll never, ever pass laws that are worth helping all of us without us really pushing the issue. It's why I love people like AOC, because she she's obviously a democratic socialist or whatever, which is I'm to, to her left, but she understands that the only legitimate use of state power if we're going to have a state and again i'm not even convinced of that but she understands that the state should be there to secure people's rights not infringe upon them that is it the moment you cross that line she has no interest in governing that way and i think that's very revealing um and i'm hoping as time goes on and millennials and gen zers can get into office i'm hoping some of that will come to the fore because i think what we really need ultimately is a very far left coalition to ally itself with the libertarian movement we basically agree on everything other than economics and even on economics there's plenty we can agree on you know um we would probably agree not to tax poor people right so things like that um but you really need this third wave of people who are they don't live within this two-party system. They think in a different way. And I think what you really need is a far left and a libertarian coalition. People think of libertarians as being on the right, but they're not. They're, they're their own thing because they're for things like drug legalization and police reform. But also they aren't really fans of taxation um, and big government. So they don't really fit in anywhere, right? Just like an anarchist. The anarchists, they're for all kinds of things, right? There was this great... Um, program in England that began in the 1870s in Wales where they had health insurance but you know you had some doctors and everyone in the community would pitch in a couple of pennies out of their pay to help support this system but it was community based it wasn't government run and basically everyone in the community 25,000 people got care they had dentist dentistry they had doctors basically everyone got free health insurance more or less by paying a couple of pennies out of their pocket. Obviously, it's not free if you're paying something, but, you know, a very small amount that's affordable. 
and the whole community can benefit. I mean, it was anarchist in design, right? So these things are possible. Um, you're seeing this with drug legalization. It's too corporate. I think you could do a drug legalization policy where it's community-based and anarchist-based and built from the ground up, focusing on people who have been disaffected from the war on drugs. That would be the right way to do it. And I think libertarians would want to do it that way as well. There's a lot we can agree on um, with the libertarian movement on the left. And I think we wouldn't agree on things like how to lower income inequality. But I also think both sides have some intelligence enough and read enough and are outside the two-party system where we both would want to give a little bit so that we could continue to be a coalition right so i may not like low taxes on the rich but if there's a way where you can do low taxation but better services for people community services i'm for that right so i just think that we really need some kind of third group to come into this system to shake things up and people had hoped that would be trump right because you talk to his voters, they don't really think of him as a Republican. But the truth is, he was never about doing right by people. He was about himself. And so that whole idea kind of died on the vine. But if you get real leadership and people who really care, I think you could do that. Like you could shake up the system. Whether or not the system allows it, I don't know. We haven't really tried it and it's worrisome to say the least and i would worry about any candidate like that being safe but at the end of the day this is not working anymore and we have to try and figure something out you know and so i think that could be a really good coalition and an interesting one and a new way to govern you know anyway i just kind of wanted to touch on some of this stuff about where we're at in civilization i mean there's a lot of good things happening too guys I, I'm in the Northeast, and I got to say, the COVID vaccinations are through the roof. Society has returned to normal. And without all the sickness that you're seeing in some of the southern states where people aren't getting vaccinated. And I feel bad, and it's, it's sad that that's happening. Um, but people have to make their own choices as far as these things go, I suppose. So, but that's good, you know. I think that's a good thing. There's, there's a lot of, America is trying to work with its allies again. I think that's good. You know, I have a lot of fondness for our allies. I know a lot of people probably don't think about it that much, but it I'm very patriotic and it means something very deeply to me that we are allied with people that we fought fascism together and communism. I mean, we landed on the beaches of Normandy and died together with the Canadians and the Australians and the French and the English and other allies so that people could be free. And I think... We forget because we've lived in a more or less peaceful time compared to World War II, World War One. I. I mean, not totally peaceful, but, you know, not like it was. And we forget why we're friends with these people, you know. But I haven't, and it, it really makes me emotional to see us getting along with our friends again, you know. It's one of the things I give Joe Biden praise for, whatever you want to say about him. And there's plenty to critique him on. I, 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 he's very old. I don't think he has dementia, but I think it's obvious his brain isn't what it was. 
and he can be kind of rude to reporters sometimes, which I'm, I hated it when Trump did that. I don't like it when he does that. Um, this stuff about domestic terrorism I worry about. There's a lot of things I worry about when it comes to him. Not even sure I'm going to be voting for the Democrats in 24 uh, because I'm not sure I like what I'm seeing so far. But when it comes to the world stage, I do think the Democrats are better at working with our allies than the Republicans. And at the very least, the one thing the president can do is that, right? He may he can't go into Congress and make them pass. Like, can't do any of this stuff that is the role of the judicial or, or Congress, right? But he can work with our allies. And I think that's so important. And I really, really hope that that continues because we do have to deal with China. Trump was right about that. People don't like talking about it because he's so vulgar. And frankly, he doesn't really know how to deal with China. He just, <laughs> I mean, he passed tariffs, for God's goodness sake. What is this, 1820? Um, but he, he, he was right that they're a problem. And I don't want to live in a world governed by China. I want to live in a world governed by, if I had to choose, America. And you could say, well, why do we need any of that? And it's because someone is always going to run things in this world, at least for now. And there's no one else who can do it. You know, I heard Josh Zepps was on the fifth column. Year, you know, this was like back in 2018. And he made a really profound point. And he was like, look, in Australia, we want you guys to step up. We want you to be strong. Because who's going to protect us if China comes from for us? Nobody can. We can't protect us. We're not big enough. The only country in the world that can fight back against a country like China is America. And so we need you guys to find a way to be more free and more open and also to combat China. you got to figure it out. And I agree. But we, we're going to need our allies, too. And I think it's so important to deal with them. I don't know what that looks like. I don't want a Cold War. I don't want violence. But we have to find a way to let them know, like, if you're going to be communist and you're going to do what you're doing to the Uyghurs and you're going to do what you're doing to the Christians. I mean, don't even get me started about that as a Christian. I mean, the treatment of Chinese Christians, holy cow, it's not being reported on, but it is awful. And more and more Chinese are converting because they're they're desperate for something other than communism. Because you know what? There's nothing for you there, guys. Like, I have lefty friends who are communists. There's nothing there. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all just people who want power. They want to be on top, and they feel communism is a way to get there. Just like some people think capitalism is. And you're seeing it time and time again. And China's the latest example of that. So, I think we do got to deal with them. And I love what's happening with, with us, with our allies. And it's so nice to see us being friends with them again. And I think it's so important. I don't know if it's going to last because I don't know what happens in the next election. And frankly, foreign policy is not my main concern right now, which is why even though I like what the Democrats are doing, it's not enough to get me to vote for them again on foreign policy. But it is nice to see. It's nice to see that the vaccines are, are going apace. What he did giving vaccinations to everyone around the world, that was tremendous. I thought that was great. It's an American, American thing to do all the way. That is something we are very good at. Um, so there's things I like and there's things I don't, but I think like at the very least, it's nice not to have Trump be president. I mean, to know that I don't have to be 100% plugged in all the time. I can take breaks 
you know, I can go kick the soccer ball with my son and not be stressed out about what might be happening at the White House. It's, um, it's definitely nice. doesn't mean I haven't been keeping my eyes on it, but at the end of the day, having someone who actually believes in democracy versus an authoritarian in office is important. So, um, yeah. That concludes sort of the politics discussion here. I wanted to also talk about a couple of thing, other things that are kind of on my mind culturally. Uh, the first is the Marvel shows that have been out. The three of them have debuted WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and uh, Loki now, which is on episode going on episode three. And it's stunning to me how good they are. I've always loved Marvel. I'm a total comic book nerd. But when you deal when you look at these shows they're not like other things marvel has created things started to get weird with infinity war and endgame and even a couple movies before that like thor ragnarok and doctor strange but we're really in in different territory now very comic booky territory if i do say so myself and i love it like i think it's great because of various reasons but one of them is that they're really dealing a lot with mental health in these shows, in culture. Um, WandaVision basically is about <coughs> uh, one of the sort of second-tier characters of the Infinity Saga, known as Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch. She's actually one of the most powerful characters in the comics and literally has the ability to rewrite reality. And... The show deals with her grappling with the death of her lover at the hands of Thanos. And it's just remarkable the way that they deal with grief and tragedy and heartbreak. And and what it means to, to love someone. And I, I'm not going to give away too much, but Vision has this line in it where he says, What is grief but love persevering? And, um... I think about that with my dad all the time. I miss him every day. And my grief reminds me of the love I had for him. And that's special to me. Love is, is the most potent, amazing force in the world. I'm not talking about, like, you know, sitcom. I'm talking about that deep love where you would sacrifice for a person. You know? And I'll never forget finding my dad on the floor of his bedroom that last night he was home and I just could tell he couldn't get up he was so weak and I just knew he was he was dying and I remember helping him up holding him up so he could pee which you know was very awkward for me and just realizing I would do anything for this man even though he hadn't been in my life for so long I, I loved him he was he was the man that held me first and created me and I love life, and I wouldn't be here if not for him and my mom. And so for them to create me and allow me to exist and bring me into this crazy, crazy story of the human race and to enjoy all this, even the bad parts, like, it, it's such a blessing, and I'm so grateful to him. And it, WandaVision really captures this feeling, and it's, it's just remarkable. And then it also captures sort of American cultural television as it goes through different eras. With Falcon and Winter Soldier, it's more of like a, a an action thriller, and it's really about coming to terms with who you are and who you're meant to be, and not letting your past define you. 
And the way that the characters deal with that is remarkable. And I use that word a lot, remarkable. It's, it's like always at the top of my brain. But it is. It's, it's, it's an awesome story that they tell in this. And dealing with America's sins. and But not letting that define us. And being proud despite the sins. Um, and dealing with our demons, I think. It's, it's really great. And of course, Loki, which is the weirdest of all the shows, is about Loki trying to grapple with, is he a villain or not? You know, who am I? Do I want to be good or bad? I've never really thought about it. And it goes back to that Thor line in Ragnarok where he says, you'll always be the god of mischief, but you could be more. And um, Loki deals with that a lot. And it's kind of like a buddy cop mystery show. And they all are different genres, but they all deal with that sort of, who am I? What was I put here for? How do I deal with these things that come naturally in life? And it's it's really profound to me because Marvel doesn't, you know, they haven't been doing a lot of that in the Infinity Saga. You know, Spider-Man was one of those ones where people love Spider-Man because he really grapples with that a lot. Um, and I think there are other movies that do it a little bit, but this is really, they've really gone full tilt into this and it's been great. I think they're killing it. And it's just fascinating and fun and a great time to be a comic book fan and that's to say nothing of the other shows that are out there i mean the animated comic book invincible on amazon prime you want an emotional roller coaster that you can't stop watching it's there aren't words for me to describe that show it is a remarkable stunning beautiful creative in-depth analysis of sort of what is a superhero and what happens when superheroes fail or lie to us you know um and the boys does this a little bit too but the the boys is more like superheroes suck and we shouldn't idolize them the invincible comic is more of a superheroes are gray right it's not one or the other and i think they all do such a great job of this and it's just an awesome time to be a fan of things like sci-fi or fantasy or comics. It really is. And um, I just can't recommend these Marvel shows enough. And I love talking about them with people. It's great. All right. To close out the pod, I just have three recommendations. Uh, the first is a television show. I'll then recommend a book. And then a podcast. Um, and so my first recommendation is for television. And I would really recommend that you get out there and see Mayor of Easttown. Um, it is phenomenal. And, you know, uh, there's this, there's this, uh, J.D. Vance wrote a book called uh, Hillbilly Elegy, which is like supposed to be about what it's like to be white trash or white working class or whatever. Um, and that's not you know i've watched the movie based on the book it's not terrible but i that wasn't my experience growing up as a working class white person um for me i really can't recommend mayor of east town enough because i think that show really gets at the heart of what it means to be to be 
white working class in the, or just working class in general really frankly um to be white working class in this country and i think people should watch it and understand like this is what some of us are going through and and why people aren't afraid to blow the country up because when you watch this show and you realize a lot of these families have nothing and there's really no reason for them to be tied into the to the patriotic narrative of fighting for our country and keeping it going and all that because what do they have to show for it a son who overdosed another one that's in jail no job you know what I mean? A, a, a infrastructure that's crumbling, a town with bad education systems. I get it. I do. I'll, I'll always be opposed to Trump, but I, I really try not to hate his voters because I, I do understand it. I lived in those circles and it is unpleasant, um, to say the least. I still do live in that circle. So Mayor of Easttown was great. I can't. Kate Winslet in it is superb, phenomenal. Just a queen. Amazing. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, the book recommendation is Martin Gurry, Revolt of the Public. I loved this book. Um, it's, it's deep. It's thick. It has a lot going on in it. But the basic premise is, you know, the onset of the internet and sort of the, the decentralization of knowledge has created a new power dynamic where... It's not just the elites with power, it's everyone else too. And there's this sort of clashing back and forth and so much change out of it. And and it, it's a profound book. I really recommend that people read it because I think it does a great job of analyzing why we are where we are. I don't think it captures the full picture, but I do think it's a very, very good book. Definitely recommend it. Um, learned a lot from it and i i can't say enough that i think it's it's really captured something there there are other things that i think it leaves out but you know i i won't really critique it here but again revolt of the public martin gurry great book and then finally a podcast uh then and now then and now is a history podcast and it's uh headed by heather cox richardson and joanne freeman two historians who are brilliant 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 they, you know, I think more people need to listen to historians because historians have such a knowledge of the past, you know, of what what history means and what we should take away from it. And they don't always agree with each other, but I think if more people studied history, they would understand more about the present and why, although things could be going better, they could be a lot worse, too. And how oftentimes what we think we're seeing we actually are getting wrong <coughs> so yeah then and now heather cox richardson joanne freeman it's brilliant they're two historians i'm very very fond of joanne freeman of course is uh she's uh, legendary heather cox richardson has an amazing newsletter that she puts out daily on substack it's uh it's a really great podcast if you want to kind of figure out what's going on their most recent episode was about critical race theory and it was way 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 better than anything you're going to find being talked about on the news or a political podcast or any of that because it's looking at it from a historical perspective so um yeah so that concludes the podcast i'm going to try to make this more regular again um i enjoy doing it 
I would really like to get some more components put together so I can have guests or co-hosts. Um, so it, it would be nice to be able to do that because, you know, me talking the whole time is kind of boring. I really would like to have some debate back and forth and different people bring different things to the table. Um, but for now, uh, thank you for listening uh, and I'll be back.